One thing that's really great uh, is that when you have friends that know that you're in a tough spot and you need someone to come alongside and help out, uh, God has provided that for us in Pastor Wendy Cunningham. She and her husband, Russ, are out in Zimmerman, Minnesota, pastoring a church that they planted there. And when I asked her if she'd be available to come today, for us, she said, absolutely, when do you want me there? So she's an awesome woman. Uh, she's also at the district as the director of women in ministry. So Wendy, please come and share with us today. God's given her an awesome message, I know. Thank you. Good morning. It's an honor to uh, be here today. I thank you for asking me, Cindy, to come, and uh, we'll see what God does this morning. I'm excited. Always, I always tell people, I only do what I do because God has been so good to me, and I just want to have the opportunity to share with others what he's done in my life, and so uh, that is my favorite thing to do, is to share the goodness of the Lord. I um, had a little information about the series that you've been doing and um, uh, hope this fits in a little bit with uh, what you're doing. But I want to talk this morning about uh, how do we become unshaken people? How do we become people that can stand so strong that we're unshaken? And I think we would all agree that we live in a world where things are shaking. They are shaking and rocking and rolling and um, this morning as we were worshiping, I really felt the Lord speaking to my soul. And uh, it was so, uh, it's so strong on me that I feel I want to share it with you. And I felt what he was saying is that right now we are all being bombarded by voices. By voices in our country, by voices in our, in our nation that are screaming things at us. And we all feel that way. We, uh, we, at all times in our lives, have voices. Voices from the world, voices from Christians, but voices all around. And I felt the Lord speak to me and say that soon and very soon, we are going to hear his voice directly. We are going to hear his voice out loud. We are going to hear his voice, and he is going to speak so directly and so strongly that it is going to override every other voice that we are hearing and that every other voice in the world is going to be hushed in silence because of the power of the voice of the Lord God Almighty, and that as his voice begins to speak out that things are going to change in our world, things are going to change on the earth, and we are going to see him move in a power and authority that we have not seen in a long time, and we are going to experience that power and authority that will affect the voices that are all around us right now. Amen? Amen. I, I just felt that so strongly, and uh, I think all of us know and agree that when God speaks, when he speaks, we will know. And this morning, as you were worshiping, one of the things about worship is when we are worshiping, we are drawing ourselves closer to him, is when we personally, in worship, can hear his voice speak to us. I didn't hear that word from him when I was sitting in front of the TV set. I didn't hear that word when I was driving here and trying to pay attention to directions. I heard that word when I was in worship 
with the Lord. So I encourage you to do that. So how do we become unshaken? Well, I began to think about my own life and, and how did I get to this point and what has God done in my life. And so I'm going to share three different things that I feel God has done in my life that have really helped me. And uh, all of them begin with and have to do with trouble. Oh, we got trouble. Right here in River City. Remember that song from the music man. John 16, has become one of my favorite scriptures. In this world, you will have trouble. Now, there is no doubt. There is no questioning. There is no second guessing. This says, in this world, you will have trouble. And this is Jesus' own words. This isn't someone else. This is Jesus' own words. He is promising us that we will have trouble. So how come it is when we have trouble, we complain, we get upset, we want to know, why isn't God helping me? What is, you know, why is God allowing this to come into my life? He says, in this world, you will have trouble. And he doesn't say the trouble is going to go away. What does he say? He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, I believe what Jesus is trying to say is that we're going to have trouble but he will give us whatever we need to walk through that trouble. And when I look back at my own life and what I have gone through, what I have found is that remarkably, I have grown and it's almost been better for me, the trouble that I have gone through, as I learned to allow Jesus to help me. So let's talk this morning about the scripture a little bit more and three keys that I call the keys to overcoming the troubles of the world. Now, I have quite a story, and if I took the time to share my whole story with you, I'd get a lot of warning signs, I'm sure. But uh, I want to share bits and pieces here and there, and uh, to begin with, I really had a very difficult childhood. Both of my parents had strokes, when I was very young, my father, uh, who served in World War II, was a fighter pilot, came home from the war unscathed, and at the age of 37 had an aneurysm that knocked him down, and he changed, he became paralyzed on his left side, he was never the same person again. So our family was just beginning to accept that and try and get over that, and I was in uh, third grade when he had his stroke. And uh, three years later, my mother had the same stroke. She had an aneurysm on the opposite side of her brain. Instead of becoming paralyzed, she lost her speech. So both my parents were not the people that I had known them. And both of my parents struggled with their lives from then on. So I started out uh, with troubles. We, my parents, I was raised Lutheran, raised in the church. Even my mom, after she became ill, tried to make sure that, that we attended church. But I didn't really know Jesus, and I didn't really know the Word of God. Because of the issues in my family, I married early, 10 days out of high school to be exact, and married a man who I loved, who I started dating when I was 15, and he was six years older than I was. He really was like a father figure in my life, and was a great uh, uh, father figure to me and to my sisters and brothers. 
So we married. We did not, we were married in the Lutheran church, but again, we did not know Christ and began our marriage. And I decided because of all the problems I've had in childhood that I didn't want to have children. So I began to look to the things of the world in a career. I worked for Carlson Companies for 10 years and climbed the ladder there. And I was looking for success, looking for power, looking for money, not for a family and not for Christ. And when you do that, what happens is your family falls apart. And that's what happened to me. So 10 years into my marriage, I was ready for divorce, ready to look for something different. And it was at that point that God intervened in a miraculous way by sending my husband's brother into our lives. And he had received Christ a couple of years before then, was filled with the Holy Spirit and just on fire. And he began to witness to us. And he began to tell us that Jesus could help us. And so at the age of 30, uh, my husband and I, he was six years older, but we received Christ. And uh, our marriage, I thought I didn't love my husband anymore. I thought I didn't respect him. I thought he would never change. And what I found out is that Jesus can heal any marriage. I don't care what it is. And it took a little while, but over a period of time, God restored our marriage. And in the meantime, uh, within a couple of years after receiving Christ, we began to have foster children in our home. Within a five-year period, we had 17 foster children, most of them problem teenagers. Most of them received Christ while they were in our home. At that point, God began to catapult us into ministry. And at the time it all happened, I thought that was normal and how everybody was, Cindy. But now I've learned that that's not how everybody was. But God just catapulted us. We started a Christian teen center, which was great with the foster kids. And the teen center eventually turned into a a church. My husband, who had been a businessman for years, completely lost his heart for business and gained a heart to minister to people. And I saw him change from somewhat of a ruthless businessman into one of the kindest, most gentlest, wonderful men I had ever known. And because he loved Jesus so much, he began to affect the world for Christ. You notice I said because he loved Jesus. Not because of his education, not because of his ability or his experience, but because he loved Jesus. And so as we face the troubles of the world together, things begin to change, and we were catapulted into ministry and ministered uh, in several churches in Minnesota and ended up, uh, eventually, it's a long story, many good things, many uh, miraculous things that God did, but we ended up in Big Lake, Minnesota, And my husband was on staff at that church. And he also did missions work with Tom Eli, if any of you know Tom Eli. Uh, And he did missions work with Tom and devoted the, the remainder of his life to making a difference for Christ. So as we're talking this morning, and I shared the scripture with you and the three points, my first point is this. The most important thing we need to learn is the difference between inheritance and heritage. The world concentrates on inheritance. 
even many of us as Christians. And we work so hard to make sure that our families are going to have worldly goods when we pass away. My first husband, his name was Dell. We were as poor as church mice. In our whole Christian walk, we never had more than two nickels to rub together. We lived in a mobile home in Big Lake for 13 years of our ministry. But I want to tell you as a testimony that God met every one of our needs abundantly more than we could have ever thought or hoped for. And when he died is the day that I truly learned the difference between inheritance and heritage. For as I said, we had nothing, and so I had nothing to bury him with. But that day that we had his reviewal, I learned through all the people who came that day to the review and funeral, I learned what a great heritage my husband had left to so many people. An inheritance is temporal. It usually stops after one generation. The heritage of the Lord is passed from generation to generation. My husband left a great heritage for me and for my children and for the hundreds of people that he led to Christ and discipled. The day that we had his reviewal at the church, it's a big church, there was over 500 people who came that night. The line went outside the church. I was standing in front trying to greet these people, and the people from the funeral home came to me and they said, Mrs. Gregus, you need to sit down and rest. You have a long day tomorrow. Let someone else greet these people. And I said, no, this is the greatest gift I have, is hearing what every one of these people has to say about the heritage that my husband has left. I had people through that line who I hadn't seen in 20 years. I had people who I didn't even remember who said to me, your husband led me to Jesus. Your husband walked with me through a really hard time. And most of them always prefaced it by saying, your husband loved me no matter where I was at. He accepted me no matter what I was doing or where I was at. And he loved me into the kingdom of God. And I stood for four hours. And I heard every one of those stories. And I heard my own children. I heard my own family talk about the heritage that my husband had left. And I became determined that day that I would become the kind of person who wanted to do that same thing. And I began to understand the importance of being a right role model for Christ, of being who Jesus wants me to be so that I also can leave the heritage that I want to leave for my children and for the generations to come. It's the same with you. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says this, Therefore stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Are you busy in life? Are you working to prepare an inheritance for your children? Or are you working to prepare a heritage? One of the greatest gifts that I have ever received 
is a note that is in the front of my Bible that I got from my granddaughter Josie about a year ago. And in that note, she tells me how much she loves me and that she's so glad I'm her grandma and that I'm the best grandma. <laughs> but the thing that touches me the most is when she says, I want to be just like you because what I see you do is love people like Jesus does. And you don't just love the church people, you love everyone. That's the kind of note that is a blessing to any grandmother, but it reminded me once again about the importance of the heritage that we leave. You want and you need people around you to be affected in a way that they will remember that you lived and stood for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Number two, second key to overcoming trouble in this world. Look how you can minister to others. When my husband died, he was on staff at Monticello part-time, Big Lake Monticello, and he worked for Tom Eli doing missions. He'd gone to India three times with Tom. And when he, he in 1999, went in to have rotor cuff surgery and never came out. At the age of 54, went to be with Jesus. And uh, I was shocked. I was hurt. I couldn't believe that he would, God would take my husband. I felt like he was a better Christian than I was. I mean, there were all kinds of things that went through my head. But I couldn't believe that he was gone. It was hard on my children. It was hard on me. And uh, I was 50 at the time. My two kids were both just going into North Central. One had been there for a, a year or two. And my son was, it was his first year. So I began to, uh, you know, try and recover from my husband's death. And there were a couple of things that happened to me that were the best things. And number one was within two weeks of my husband dying, my pastor came to me, the senior pastor at the church, and he said, Wendy, the church board met last night, and, and they would love to have you come on staff part-time. And he said, we don't expect you to do what your husband did, what Dell did, but we see giftings in you, and we would like you to be on staff. And I went, wow. I looked at him, and I said, well, I don't have my credentials. And he looked at me, and he said, well, go get them. So at the age of 50, Sam, I went to North Central. I know. It was pretty exciting. I, I didn't go and get a degree. I went just enough to get my credentials. I went on and off for two years. But it was a great thing. It was a great thing because immediately God was helping me to focus on what was important, and that was ministering to others. And so the doors began to open for me to minister at our church. I became busy. I also had a secular job, and God provided financially for me. And uh, my husband died on September 17th. And there was another family in our church who was going through crisis, and that was Russ and Marcia Cunningham. And Marcia had breast cancer. She was, eight, she was 39 years old at the time. They had four young children, two boys, 14 and 12, and two girls, 10 and 8. So in November, Marcia was in the hospital, 
not doing well. And one night, on a Saturday night, the Lord spoke to me. My pastor didn't call me and ask me this. The Lord spoke to me. And he said, I want you to go see Marcia in the hospital. And I said, oh, I don't want to do that, Lord. I, it's late, it's dark, it's a half hour away. You know, I started to make all these excuses. And, and over a period of about three hours, the Lord just kept nudging me. And I finally said, Lord, how can I go to minister to her when I'm hurting so bad myself, when I'm still mourning? And the Lord spoke to me and he said, Wendy, I want you to go and minister to Marsha out of your pain. So I got my Bible and I got in my car and I drove to the hospital, which was in Monticello, was where she was at. On the way there, I made a few phone calls and I had heard that the kids were up there and it was pretty noisy, that Marsha wasn't doing well, that it was chaotic, all of the above, but I still went. When I got to Marsha's room that night, it was 8 o'clock at night, and the kids were gone. Russ was the only one with her. She was sitting up in bed, and she was just as sharp as a tack. What happened that night is a miraculous thing. For I not only ministered to Marsha Cunningham, she ministered to me. We both used our Bibles. We read scripture to each other. We prayed with one another. She was such a woman of faith. I had seen her stand in church on Sunday mornings when the pastor would pray for her. And she would do her best and she would quote scripture and do everything she could to chase the devil away from her life and to regain her health. She stood in faith and I considered her a woman of faith. She ministered to me that night. One of the greatest fears that Marcia had was that if she died, who would take care of her children? I know it was a great concern of hers. And I share this, I don't share it very often, but I want you to know that that night when I went up to see Marcia, I believe that God told her that I was going to be the mother of her children. Marcia knew me, she knew my husband had died, she knew that I was a woman of God, I had taught her children, I had taught her in Russ, I knew that she knew me, and I believe that God told her that. God didn't tell me that night. If you'd have asked me, I would have thought that would have been the furthest thing from my mind that I would ever remarry. But that night, God did a work in Marcia's life. She uh, called Russ. We, I left the hospital, Russ did, and she called Russ at 3 in the morning that night, and she said, Russ, Jesus came and visited me. She said, you know how I've always, always struggled with whether or not I have enough faith. Tonight, Jesus took me and showed me heaven. And when he showed me heaven, he looked at me and he said, Marsha, do you have enough faith now? She said, I know that Jesus is going to take me home tonight. She was gone at five in the morning. So I was one of the last people to see her alive. And I cannot wait to see her in heaven. Believe me, I cannot wait. So Marsha passed away. I was on staff. And with a short, within a short time, Russ and I became friends. Because we were both in the same boat. We had both had wonderful marriages. We had lost our spouses. And so we began to talk. Long story short is a year later, Russ and I married. 
And I took on his four children, David, Daniel, Rebecca, and Anna. And after becoming a mom who was an empty nester and my kids were gone, I started all over again. And with God's grace and God's strength, we have raised his children. So when I was truly entering a time in my life that I thought would be quiet and nothing going on, I entered a time of ministry to others that was unsurpassed by anything else I had done in my life. Ministering to those four children and raising those four children has been one of the greatest victories in my life. It has not been easy, but I have grown and I have learned, and I'm so excited to say the kids all love me. So between being on staff at Bridgeview, going to India, my husband and I began to take mission trips to India. We've been to India 14 times, raised our, our children. I always found out that through looking how you can minister to others is how you grow. And that's where my growth came. It came and it came. And everything that I did for others as ministry, God began to minister to me and help me to grow and to change. So after all of this, after all of this in my life, my husband, Russ, the same thing happened to him that happened to my first husband. It's really strange. He was a businessman who owned his own company. He owned a tool and die company. Within a short time of our being married, I saw him begin to lose his heart for business and to gain a heart for ministry. And certainly after going to India for 14 trips and preaching and teaching, he learned and he grew. And so what happened is that after we had been married for a few years, he sold his company, got out of business, and we planted a church in Zimmerman, Minnesota. And that is how we came to Zimmerman. We have been there eight years, and God has used us, I believe, to minister to many, many people. God's work for us is about servanthood. It's not about promotion or career. It's about calling and obedience. And I just guarantee you, no matter where you're at in life, what troubles you have, what you may think of lack in your life, God can take that lack and fill you up and put you somewhere where you can be used to minister to other people. And the older I get, the more important to me it is to be obedient to God. You would think that would be something that would be more important when we are younger, but I am so learning that even in my latter years, everything that I do, I want to do out of obedience. So I'm going to share one more point. Again, these are keys to overcoming trouble in this world. This is one of my favorites. We must become more heavenly-minded. And it's a wonderful thing. You know, we think of God's plans for us as only on earth. We're always, and, and this is good, we're praying about where does God want me to be? Where does he want me to live? What job does he want me to have? You know, and that's all good. But what we forget is that this is just the beginning. This is just a small, minor part of what God really wants to do in our lives. And when I finally understood this, 
I could begin to understand that part of God's plan for my husband was in heaven. He had been gone about six weeks, and I was still hearing from people here and there who had knew him or had just found out that he had passed away. One of them was a friend of ours from Duluth, and she was an intercessor. And we had prayed together for the city of Duluth for many years. And I hadn't gotten to talk to her or see her. And so this is six weeks later, and she wrote me a note. And this is what it said. She said, I understand that God took home one of his top prayer generals to view the final battle from the heavenly war room. Wow. Wow, when I read that note, and I still have that note, I can't tell you what it meant to me, but it showed me, and I believe that what God was trying to show me through that note is that his plan for all of our lives is so much greater than what we experience here. And yet we worry and we fret about all the trouble that we have. We don't know how we're going to make it. We get so worked up about things. And yet God has his hand in complete control of our life and our death. I always tell my children, death is part of life. If we didn't have death, we wouldn't appreciate life, would we? But God, his plan is so big for us that we've got to get our eyes off of our everyday circumstances and everyday promises or problems and troubles and just know that he has a plan for us. I, I, I think every once in a while, especially when I'm at a funeral, and I think about my husband and I think about, I just wonder what he's doing. And, I, and there's a few times when I'd really like to talk to him. <laughs> a few things I really could use his help with. You know, a couple times I've been kind of mad that he's, you know, missed out on some problems I've had. But I just know that he's there and I know that he is not just sitting there, that he's being used by God. And I think when we get to heaven, there is going to be a time of rejoicing, of being with people who we haven't seen or heard of from years, that we're, we're just going to have a joyous time just talking to everybody. And I'm preparing a list of questions for a lot of people. So I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you to know that no matter where you're at, what kind of trouble you're in, however hard it is for you, however alone that you feel, that God has a plan for your life. And that he has his hand on you. And that he will help you. And that if you just walk forward with him and that you, number one, learn how important heritage is and that you focus what you're doing on the heritage that you're going to leave for other people. That you trust and know that as God leads you into ministry, that he will minister to you through ministry and help you to grow. And that you also, I, I encourage you to become more heavenly minded. You know what, it's really hard when we're living on earth to be heavenly minded. I don't think that we understand or know um, 
what it means, what heaven is like, and what it means to be heavenly minded because we're so consumed with here. I'm going to close in just a minute, and I want to read to you out of a book. When, uh, after my husband died, someone recommended this book to me, and I recommend it to you. It's from Mark Buchanan, and it's called Things Unseen. And in this book, there's a lot of different ways that he talks about heaven and what it means to him. And uh, I'd like to read just a small portion of it to you this morning. But this just so ministered to me when I began, when I read this, and I thought like this thinks. So I encourage you. Our attempt to picture heaven has sometimes been compared to twin infants inside the darkness of their mother's womb. They talk about a world outside. They've heard rumors. One infant says to the other that just beyond the darkness, beyond the thin walls of this cramped place, is dazzling light. It reflects and refracts a billion shades of color and makes visible a vast and astonishing world. There are towering mountains girdled with millions of trees, crowned with a blinding whiteness. There is a sky, sometimes brilliant blue, other times filled with great white shifting shapes. At still other times, a cauldron of grays, or an inkwell of blackness flecked with tiny, countless sparks. There are immense oceans, darkly raging or glassy smooth. There are creatures of every description above and on and under the earth, large and small, crawling and leaping, soaring and burrowing, diving and slithering, singing, roaring, howling, chattering. The other infant listens incredulous, and finally says, Nah, you're making all this up. There's nothing out there, and if there is, it's probably pretty much like is in here. In the darkness of the womb, in the limits of an infant's imagination, how could anyone conceive of such wonders? How could anyone picture a giraffe, a waterfall, a ladybug, a zenia. That is our predicament. We're the earthbound trying to become heavenly minded. We're struggling to awaken a deep hunger for that which no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. In that sense, we, still earthbound, can know no more about the world beyond than the two infants, still womb-bound, can know about this world. But there's hope for us. The Bible says that heaven is grasped by faith, seen with spiritual eyes. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, says the writer of Hebrews, and certain of what we do not see. We live by faith, Paul says, not by sight. And after Paul says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind conceived, 
what God has prepared for those who love him, he says this, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. To be heavenly minded means that we grasp heaven not through the faculties of sight, but through something deeper, by the spirit and by faith. I don't know where you're at this morning, but I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray that God is going to give you the spiritual eyes to be able to know and understand, number one, how much he loves you, and number two, that he has a plan for you and that that plan will come to fruition when you are called home to eternity. And my belief is that none of us is called too early And none of us is called too late. It is according to his plan. And his plan is good, and his plan is perfect. Would you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just pray for your precious people who are gathered here this morning in your name. And I pray for them, Lord, that you would do such a work inside of each one of them. Lord, that this morning they would leave with a different mindset because you've spoken to them and you've encouraged them. And Lord, number one, that you've showed them how important the heritage is that they're going to leave. And Lord, help us to refocus on being the people of God that you want us to be. Lord, I pray that you would help each one here this morning to know that you have a ministry for them, that you have something for them to do that is outside of doing something for themselves, and it's for others. It may be big, it may be small, but Lord, as we step into ministry for you, you bless us in such great ways. And and I have found that it is as we step into that ministry that you provide our needs, that you provide our wants and desires, and Lord, that you fulfill our lives through what we do for you and for others. And finally, Lord, my prayer would be that you would touch us all this morning, Lord, and help us to become more heavenly-minded. Help us, Lord, to take our eyes off of all the things that are clamoring, Lord, to change our minds, to discourage us, to deceive us in this world today. And Lord, that as you spoke to my heart, Lord, all of these voices, we would tune them out, and Lord, we would listen for your voice and know your voice. And Lord, we would know that the plan you have for us is so much greater than what we are experiencing right now that we would look forward to where you are going to lead us and guide us. Lord, my prayer is that each one of these people in this room knows you as Savior and Lord. And if they don't, Lord, I pray that this morning you touch them and bring them to a point where, Lord, they want to have you a part of their life. Lord, that they would come and see us after myself or Pastor Cindy or Steve, Lord, and that we'd have opportunity to pray with them. Lord, 
for me, it was the beginning, the beginning of my life. And I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to me and to your people. And I pray, Lord, that we would see you move powerfully and majestically right in front of our eyes in the coming days and that we would trust you and love you and we would see your harvest coming. Lord, I pray for great blessing upon Pastor Cindy and Steve. I pray for them this morning, Lord, especially that you would continue to speak to their hearts personally. Lord, encourage them and strengthen them. Help them to know, Lord, that you have your hand upon them and that you are going to continue to use them. Help them to know that, Lord, it isn't about numbers. It is about each life that we affect for Jesus Christ. Sometimes those lives stay around us. Sometimes those lives go to other places. But, Lord, we are affecting lives for you, and they are affecting lives for you, and I pray for great blessing upon them today. Lord, I pray for this church, Lord. What a wonderful building. What a great facility. What a growing community. Everything is here, Lord, set in place, ready for you to send people. So, Lord, we pray for you, Lord, to let your convicting power go out within this community of Egan, Lord, that you would convict people of their need for you, that you'd convict people of their need, Lord, to repent and to be in your word and to know you. And, Lord, that as that happens, Lord, the harvest would come in, into this wonderful church facility. And, Lord, we trust you. We trust you, Lord. We trust you with every area and every aspect of our lives and what you've called us to do. And we thank you for your faithfulness. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I'd like you to just all keep your heads bowed. How many of you this morning felt like God was challenging you to make a a deeper commitment with him in one way or another through this message this morning that Pastor Wendy brought to us? How many of you feel like you've made a deeper commitment in some way? Thank you. Lord God, we just thank you that that your word was powerfully preached, and Lord, that the seeds of it have been sown into our hearts. And Lord, I thank you for the ones of us who who have received that and understood that there's something more you have for us to do, something more you're calling us to. And so, Father, I pray that you'd seal that decision in each of our hearts. Help us to walk it out. In Jesus' name, amen.